So we are here today in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 13, as we're sort of taking an in-depth look through the book of Ephesians. And we discover today that all of us have been given grace by God to be ministers. Every one of us are called to be ministers. You, you know the word minister there is the word doulos, which means servant. It's the guys who rowed underneath the boat at the bottom. That we all have a part. We all have an oar, so to speak. We all have a part in moving this boat forward. And every part doing their share is what causes the true growth in the body. Well, we've been studying the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 that there is a mystery. It's not like Sherlock Holmes a mystery. The word mystery just means something unknown that's now known. And the thing that's known is that the church is to be made up of Jews and Gentiles both. There's not to be one special Jewish Christian congregation doing their thing and a Gentile congregation doing their thing. Now, does that exist? Yes. A matter of fact, almost all Christian denominations are anti-Semitic. Strongly so. People rightly point out to me, wow, it's what the Catholic priest and the Lutheran pastors were saying in the 1930s that emboldened the Nazis to do what they did to the Jews. And I, I have to say, you know, it's true. It's true. It's hurtful. It's hard. And there are many churches today that, that believe that the Jews are done. They're old news. That the New Testament says, scratch the Jews out. It's irrelevant. It's past history. It has nothing to do with the present. It's all about the Christian church. Well, that's just completely untrue. If you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, the Jews have, their branch has been broken off from the vine for a time, but it eventually will be grafted back in and all Israel will be saved. Not all individual Jews will be saved, but Israel will come back as a nation submitting to God. It happens in the middle of the tribulation period. And then we come back at the end, the seven-year tribulation period, with the Lord. And he rules and reigns in Jerusalem as the king of the Jews on the throne of David. And, of course, he'll also be ruling from Jerusalem as the king of the Jews to the king of the whole world. So who are the actual children of Abraham? Is it Jews by DNA? No. The Bible tells us in Romans, it's those who have the faith of Abraham. Jacob did, Ishmael, or Esau didn't. Isaac did, Ishmael didn't. So even though they were direct descendants from Abraham, they're not a part of the promises of Abraham because they didn't have the same faith that Abraham did. So as we in the New Testament have the faith of Abraham in the Messiah, which Abraham prophesied about, which Abraham saw and rejoiced in seeing Jesus in Genesis 14, that same Abraham is now our father by adoption. We ended last week with verse 7, Ephesians 3, verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me. By the effective working of his power. Now Paul is going to say that is not unique to me. 
that every Christian should be able to say this, that God's given grace to me personally, that I would have an effective, powerful ministry as well. And we pick up in verse eight, to me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I like the old King James there. It says the unfathomable riches of Christ. I can barely say the word, but it's a better word, I think. First of all, it's to me. Every one of us should say, this grace has been to me. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. I was talking to a brother who called me from San Diego. I haven't heard from him in a while. And he was telling me a story that had happened to him a few years back. And that's when he was driving home on a long commute. And God said to him, hey, I love you. Now, he was quite an evangelist. He had told a lot of people God loved them. He fully believed that God loved everybody. But there was that moment when God was able to take the synapses in his brain and focus only on the truth about himself. And he literally began to weep so hard that he had to pull off the freeway and for quite some time. And he's never been the same since that moment when he understood that God loved him. I had a very similar experience. It was actually after I was a pastor. And like all of us struggling with self-esteem and struggling with struggles of sin and, and weakness and, you know, just wondering why in the world am I a pastor? God, what, you, you, something happened wrong here. You know, I'm the last guy that should be a pastor. And the same thing, God finally got through to my thick head. He loved me. That the cross, he personally knew me and took all my sins on the cross. That he rejoiced in pain for my sins and bleeding and dying for me. And that I wasn't on the outside asking for forgiveness. I was on the inside. And that he very particularly did that for every single one of us. Paul came to a point to say, yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being effective in the ministry. And then he just, it just came to him one day. God has this tremendous grace on me to be a minister to the Gentiles. And it floored him. And now he is saying to every believer at Ephesus and to every believer to, uh, today here at Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos that that revelation moment needs to happen to you to realize that your ministry is not an inconsequential, insignificant thing, but that God has a power to work through you and that's just where we've got to learn to get out of our comfort zone. The guy at the market is not there by insignificance, no, you know, just coincidence. That you're standing in line because 
He needs to hear that God loves him. To ask him the question, do you know how to have eternal life? If not, let me tell you how I know. And maybe there's a verse God spoke to you that morning and you can just say, hey, this morning this verse came across. I'm going to quote it, not perfectly, but here it is. You will find that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And oh yeah, there'll be those people offended by such openness, such invasion into their private world. But God has called us to invade every single private world. We are ambassadors of Christ. Yeah, they may not like it that I'm representing heaven, but we are. Not an angel, not somebody else. You are ambassador to Christ standing in line at Vons to that person in front of you or behind you. And there's got to be a moment where we realize it's me. And God has given grace. He's given power. And this is the moment where all of heaven and earth is lined up to bring light to this person who needs it. And then Paul says, who am less than the least of all the saints. In 1 Timothy 1, he says it even more profoundly. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. I'm not really that faithful. I'm trying to be faithful, but boy, I'm just not that faithful. But he counts me as if I, I were. Oh, no, Paul, you're, you're perfect. I'm really not, God. From my point of view, you're, you're doing well. He put me into the ministry. God did it. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, an arrogant guy, he obtained mercy because he did it ignorantly and unbelief. Now listen to 1 Timothy 1.14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Amen to that? Yeah? Is the grace of the Lord exceedingly abundant? Yes. Okay. With faith and love. I love that which are in Christ Jesus. Now listen to verse 15. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the, save the, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now if somebody says, hey, there's errors in the Bible, I have to agree with them on this particular verse. Because I am the chief of all sinners, not Paul. Of course, maybe up to this point he was, but uh, the world had not seen the likes of me. And uh, I can tell you that I am the chief of all sinners. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, everybody who's honest. And, uh, and he goes on in 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 17. However, this reason I retained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, And then this is important, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul is in essence saying, if God can work with me, if God can use me, it should be an encouragement for every believer after me throughout all of human history that then God can use them if he can use an arrogant, stubborn guy like me who persecuted the church, trying to stomp out Christianity and kill Christians. Believe me, God can work through you. And then Paul breaks into praise. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Do we get an amen? Amen. Yes, you can't sit and be quiet. 
you, you got to participate here. Okay. And this is not the same truth of all of us. Isaiah 53, 6 rightly says about every one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have turned aside, every one of us to his own sin. And the Lord laid on him on the cross the iniquity of us all. Are we not all equal sinners as Paul is? In Ephesians 2, we just covered this. We were dead in trespasses and sins, it says in verse 1, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others or just as all people who are not born again. And let me tell you, when you read that, don't you grieve? Partly because it's so true about us. And partly because Satan still's got some pretty good hooks in us, huh? And, and, and we, we realize this is not past history only. That this is present history. That we still fill the claws of the devil. We still fill the pool of Satan trying to get us to walk in darkness as he's in darkness and to walk according to that sinful nature that's in our body. So we understand when Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners. But what happened? Grace entered in. This grace was given and continually is being given. Why? That we could do ministry. Even though we're struggling with sin, even though we're weak, even though we stumble badly, God still is going to use us, right? You see this when Christians sort of graduate to start ministering. You know, whether it's teaching Sunday school or leading worship or teaching a home Bible study, you know, in a few weeks, you're going to hear from them. You know, I shouldn't be on stage. <laughs> I really shouldn't be teaching Sunday school. Man, if you knew how, what a horrible week I had, and then I had to teach a Bible study, and I felt like such a hypocrite after such a difficult week. And we have to say, every single human being has ministered from this sinful body. <laughs> and typically, because of that, like Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I did. Things I do want to do, I didn't do. And, and now I'm coming in my human failures, my human sins, my human weights that are tripping me up. And, and who am I to speak for God? And, and we're all very humbled by this, aren't we? But the grace of God is sufficient. If we just confess, it doesn't say beg. Beg for forgiveness. God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it. He doesn't say that. He actually just says agree. God prompts your heart. You feel the spirit greed. He just says, did you take a note of that? That was not my will. That was not righteousness. That was impurity. That was an outburst of wrath. That was covetousness. And all he wants us to do is agree. Because 
It says in the verse before that in 1 John 1, it says, as we walk in light as he is in the light, his, the blood of Christ continually, nonstop, 24 hours a day, cleanses us from all sin. So when we come to verse 9, we've already been cleansed from all sin. He's just saying, identify that you missed the mark. And then when we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous, forgive us of that sin, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all kinds of things we came short on that his spirit isn't talking to us about because it would be too overwhelming. So that same spirit of grace calling us all into ministry is there. In 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7, it says there are diversity of activities with the same spirit who works all in all. Ministry for everybody, nobody excluded. In verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Each one for the profit of all. Again, not excluding anyone. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to who? Come on, join in. Each one, individually, as he wills. I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The many facets, it's like looking at a diamond and it has so many beautiful angles to it. There's, it's infinite amount of angles of ministries that God has to do through us. If anyone speaks, let him speak as it were the oracles of God. Moses on Mount Sinai when you speak. If anyone ministers, let him do it as it were by the ability which God supplies. So important. That in all things God be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. And then he goes on to say that I should preach or to announce good news, a proclamation among the Gentiles. In Galatians 2 and Acts 26, Paul talks about this in detail. He says when I was in Galatia there, that Peter was there and, and he was being kosher he, when the Jews were there. But when the Jews left, he's like, bring out the bacon, man. And it was stumbling the Gentiles and he had to rebuke him. But in that whole difficulty... Not only Peter, but the other apostles saw that Paul has a calling to the Gentiles equally to Peter and the other apostles having a calling to the Jews. And they gave them the right hand of fellowship to go and do that ministry to the Gentiles. Paul, in one of the many times he's reciting his conversion story, he says that at my conversion, the Lord spoke and said, I'm making you a minister to be a witness to not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And then he breaks it out in Acts 26, 18. He said, when you go to the Gentiles, here's what's going to happen. You're going to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If we were to take time to get some of your testimonies here, you would talk about 
Christians you beat up on when they tried to talk to you about light and that you didn't appreciate it. Years back, a man worked in LA area at one of the big companies and he had a Christian next to him. And for 15 years, he made that guy's life miserable. Sometime after that, the Lord brought him out of darkness into light. And every word that guy spoke, every verse he mentioned came flooding back. And it was like 15 years of discipleship. The gate was open that he could receive it. And his testimony was, had that guy not banged on that nut for 15 years, it never would have cracked. And unfortunately, he paid the price of one who's in darkness, not wanting to leave his darkness. I think we all have similar stories where somebody knots in their stomach, butterflies in their chest, stepped out of their comfort zone, stepped into your darkness with light and, and told you God loved you, told you that Jesus has made a way for salvation. And maybe you were like, yeah, I'm happy for you, leave me alone. Maybe it was more of a, a neutral thing. Or maybe it was more of an aggressive thing. Hey, buddy, don't talk to me about God. That's personal between me and God, but out. Or something worse, I, I don't know. But looking back, aren't you incredibly, incredibly thankful for those Christians that spoke the word of God to you? Aren't you just so appreciative that even though they weren't receptive, you planted a seed, whether they liked it or not, or you came and watered on a seed from grandma who talks to her kids and grandkids. They don't want it, the Lord, but yet you're watering on somebody else's seed that was planted. And then, of course, there's those occasions where we get to harvest. Somebody else planted, somebody else watered, and now we come and get to prick the fruit and lead people to Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. But he says here that I have been called to the Gentiles to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Boy, that would take an hour to talk about that, wouldn't it? Or as the old King James says, the unfathomable riches of Christ. In other words, we'll never find the depth of that ocean of God's grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of his keeping power, of his love. It's so fun to lead somebody to Christ. And then, to, you know, they have their first bump on the road and you can tell them about God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. And then they go through something else and you're able to share some other verses and you're like the most brilliant person in the world. Look at this verse, you know, just a basic verse for us. But for them, it's an incredible treasure trove of great riches. Well, in verse 9, and to make all see that this is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages have been hidden in God, were created all things through Jesus Christ. We've talked about this already in chapter 3 and in chapter 2, that we are now, the Gentiles are able to see the mystery of Jews and Gentiles coming together to be one body. But this was so hidden. It was such a hidden Incredible revelation that the 
that the Gentiles wouldn't in some way have to be proselyted to Judaism. That's what even the apostles thought. Remember, Paul's out starting churches and witnessing and, and a group of Christian ex-Pharisees are going by saying, well, you still got to get circumcised. You still got to be kosher. You still got to keep certain Jewish laws. And Paul heard about it. He backtracked, grabbed those guys by the ear, took them back to Jerusalem. And a number of the apostles were there. And, and Paul said, no, 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 no. And they argued there in Acts 15. It was a, a very intense, difficult time. And finally, the light came on for Peter. And he said, absolutely zero Judaism needs to be imparted to the Gentile church. And these Gentiles are in no way to try to become Jews, to become a part of the household of God. It was a great moment of revelation. But all these things have been created who created all things through Jesus Christ. You know, we just every once in a while need to pull down the strongholds of the enemy and tell you plainly, everything was created by God. If you guys ever watched on YouTube, uh, Ray Comfort, and, and I love that where it's like atheist is no longer atheist after three minutes. You know, do you ever see those kind of things? And, and he just, every time he's just like, hey, See that building over there? Yeah. Was there an architect? Yeah. Was there a builder? Yeah. Do you think, I, do you think it's possible to find a building in the world that that didn't happen? No. Okay, look at that bicycle. <laughs> Was there a designer? Was there a builder? Yes. Can you point something out that has order, purpose, fruitfulness in, in our eyesight here? that could have happened on its own. And they quickly get it. Our oxygen, nitrogen levels here that we're breathing in is perfect. There's all these multiple of different fruits that actually digest into our body and strengthen us with a biodegradable cover, you know, like an orange or a banana. It's just such a obvious truth. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that's in them. You preserve them all. The hosts of heaven worship you. Couldn't be more clearly said than John 1.3. All things were made through him, Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. People often say, well, so you just want me to believe an invisible thing exists? I can't see God. Well, do you believe in love? Do you believe in hate? Yeah. Do you see them? No. Do you see the manifestations of them? Yes. What we see is the manifestation of an incredible design, a designer and a maker. And matter of fact, some strong words on this in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are what? Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every single person who will not believe in Christ 
will be questioned on this point that you have no excuse to not believe there's a maker, a creator, because all of creation is this giant arrow pointing that there has to be a God. There cannot not be a God, a creator. Well, in Ephesians 3.10, to the extent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now that, that catches us, those words, right? The principalities and powers. Why? Because it's in Ephesians 6, that well-known passage on spiritual warfare. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So here he's saying that the angels are observing this mystery unfold and they're astounded by it. Nothing leaked in heaven. None of the angels had any idea what would happen through man. They were amazed when Jesus actually was overpowered and taken to the cross. And he bled and died on the cross. They were, no, no, this can't be. And then the church becoming Jew and Gentile together in one body. They're just like, no, I never would have... The Gentiles don't have to at least get circumcised. They don't at least have to keep the Sabbath holy. They don't at least have to know laws. They were astounded by this. And he makes it clear it's all happened. The, the, the media that God has chosen for all these things to be known is through the church. You always know what's important to God by what Satan is minimizing. You, you, you quickly realize Satan minimizes the church. It's useless. It's worthless. It's non-essential. <laughs> prayer meetings. Who needs to go to a prayer meeting? Potluck? Everybody shows up. Prayer meeting? Ghost town. Well, we're going to learn in Ephesians 5 that Christ loves the church, that he is the foundation of the church. It's on the rock of Christ and him being the Messiah and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it, that it's going to go into heaven for eternity. One of the few earthly things that will be in eternity in heaven is the church. Boy, in 1 Peter 1.12 Listen to how shocked the angels are. He says in 1 Peter 1.12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. They are, you know, heavenly angels reporters trying to get the inside scoop. And it was not leaked out until it actually happened. And so the angels are on the sidelines watching with what's going to happen next episode. <laughs> what's going to happen next? And they're constantly surprised as things are unfolding, as the revelation's happening. Man knows about it before the angels. Which men? Those who are the church. The church is unfolding it in their lives and the angels are shocked by it. 
There's a lot about angels. There are those angels that are obedient to Christ. And there are those angels that have rebelled against God. It's hard to imagine these angels observing God upon his throne in heaven. And Lucifer saying, man, I could put some glitter on this God thing. I, you know, I, I could put the G in God. You know, I should be lifted up. I should, you know, Jesus shouldn't be, you know, the only son. I, I should be equal to G, whatever it was. One third of the angels bought into it. It tells us Revelation that one third. And, and so these angels are now continued or are considered as demons. And they have a lot of power. They are constantly at work to target us, to discourage us, to, to bring us into temptation and to bring us down. You guys know the story of Job well, right? And Satan was so confident he could destroy Job and his faith. But how wrong he was. Interesting in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. It tells us that Paul and his sufferings was a spectacle not only to men, but to angels. That angels were shocked at Paul's sufferings. Paul said, we're poorly clothed, we're hungry, we're beaten in the city, we're robbed in the country, we're shipwrecked numerous times. And the angels are just like, I had no idea Paul and those with him would pay such a price. I had no idea how much Satan would be given permission to, to attack Paul and those with him. But we discover in 1 Corinthians 6 that one day we will judge the angels. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, let there be submission in the church. In this culture, women wearing head veils while praying is going on. But he said later, if that's not your culture, ignore it. But nevertheless, he says, let there be this heart of display of submission to God because of the angels. What is it? It goes back to that heavenly scene, I believe. Where one angel's talking to the other angel. Well, did you, have you really listened to Lucifer's argument? Have you really paid attention to what's really going on? Are you, are you a follower of Lucifer now? Shh, yeah, of course I am. And then these angels not getting swayed, it was hard. It was so confusing. It was so difficult. And the angels that said no to Lucifer and no to his lies, it was destructive and hard. And then to watch one third of the angelic host be kicked out of heaven. And to be told that they're going to, that God, when he makes earth, is not only going to make earth, but he's going to make a hell for them to burn in for eternity as they're being kicked out of heaven. And now these angels who are ministering spirits for us, it tells us in Hebrews 1, they're observing you and you wanting to take little baby steps away from listening to Satan, his lies, his philosophy. And your guardian angel, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Oh, did God really say? Does the Bible really mean this? Well, let me show you what I can do with the verse of the Bible. Ha <laughs> ha, look at this. Well, that's the complete opposite of what it says. And these angels are going, oh, not again, this is so hard. 
This is tragic. So Paul says, take it easy on the angels, man. <laughs> Just have a heart of submission to God. Yield to God so, you know, you, you don't make your angels sweat. It also tells us in 2 Thessalonians 1, when Christ comes, he's going to come with all the mighty angels with him. We often don't picture that, do we? We picture the rapture of the church and Christ coming in the clouds, us being caught up together with them. But we didn't think about this massive angelic host, our guardian angels, who are there to greet us as well. Or when Christ returns at the end of the tribulation period, yes, we are riding also on horses along with Jesus coming down from heaven to the Mount of Olives. But there's also this massive host of angels with us. Pretty cool, huh? And then the last verse on this in, in Hebrews 13 says, this is something I am quite certain on. You guys are bumping into angels on a regular basis and you're missing out on the blessing because you're not thinking spiritually. I'm quite certain I have bumped into many, many angels. We see in the Bible they always appear as young men. But all of us have, at times, been touched with, with the invisible, becoming visible, and somehow to encourage us. Or maybe it's just fun for the angels. Hey, God, can I show up today and, and just, you know, look like a guy walking by and bumping into him? Yeah, go ahead. But here he says we actually entertain them. We actually have conversations with them. And, and we're unaware that they're not a man, but it's actually an angel. How wonderful. Right now, if we could see in the spiritual realm, the one thing you would notice here is a lot of demons. On Sunday mornings, they don't mess with non-Christians at all. That's why non-Christians are always like, oh, I love getting up Sunday morning. It just feels so good. Sleep in Sunday morning and just uh, let my flesh go blood. And man, I just, it's just, I'm so relaxed on Sunday mornings. Yes, because all the demons are at church. All the demons are messing with you to try to get you in an argument on the way to church. We'd also see a host of angels around here. And in a special way, every single body of believers, even if it's just two or three, Jesus uniquely, individually, specially is also there in our midst. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not infinite. So, but God in his ability says, better I go away. If I go away, I can be with you. Boy, how true that was. Well, verse 11. Now, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Understand, guys, our purpose is eternal. When you help somebody change a flat tire, that's it. <laughs> it was a good work. God will reward you for it. But all you did was give them earthly benefit. But when you tell somebody Jesus loves them, and maybe that's all you share before they swing at you <laughs> or spit on you or take off running, I don't know. You have affected that person for eternity. And I hope every one of us get to heaven and we're greeting all these people we led to the Lord. 
And they're just coming up and hugging you. I've had people who have come to Christ through my ministry. And I've had them come and they, they start to hug me around my chest. And they literally grab my waist. And just start weeping. They're so thankful that they left darkness and are into light. And as I've said before, I've had four children born. It was wonderful. But leading somebody to Christ to be born again, there's no comparison to the joy of that. And so, to be lights. It's, it's interesting. I was just looking today, and I, I don't know, or excuse me, this week, and I don't know what the exact stat was, but this particular pastor says, according to the poll, that 75% of all Christians have never once attempted to share their faith. I think that's a generous number. I think it's the percentage is much higher. So, you know, let's all mess up that statistic this week, right? Well, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We know that passage in Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16 well, don't we? It talks about having boldness. How do we know that? Because we come to Christ who we see in human flesh, resurrected human flesh. He goes on to tell us in Hebrews that when Christ raised from the dead, his human body was raised from the dead and became a heavenly human body. But that Christ now for eternity is our brother in resurrected body. And the Bible goes on to say, our resurrection will be identical to his resurrection. 1 John 3 says that, I don't know what we're going to be like, but I know we're going to be exactly like Jesus. He is the first fruits raised from the dead. All of us will follow. And so the thing we're going to see is the scars in his hands and the scars upon his brow and the scars in his feet. They remain even though he's resurrected, there's certain human traits that even though he's in a heavenly human body, those human traits remain, which again, it makes such a mystery. But that's when we come to Christ. That's what we see. We see one who has been through the human flesh thing. And Jesus is saying, man, my flesh was screaming. I was trying to beat my body into subjection to not sin. And man, was it hard. And of course, in his 33 years, he was pounded like no human was pounded by the devil and by men. So he's been acquainted with all our temptations, all our weaknesses. He experienced, a, you know, 100 years worth of trials in 33 years. And so what we come to see is this second person of the Trinity, God, our Savior, in a heavenly human body, and, and, our, and our, we're overwhelmed with he knows. He understands. And he's there just full of compassion and grace. So since we understand this, he says, now let us walk by faith and come boldly into the throne of grace. God, I'm struggling. I'm sinning. I am weak. I'm being overcome by my body, overcome by demons. I'm being overcome by the world. I cannot bear to live in this sinful way. Help me, God. 
We're not afraid of being thrown away. We're not afraid of being rejected. We're not afraid of sharing something that might shock God going, well, I know you were struggling with sin, but I had no idea it went that deep. No. And what do we come to? The throne of grace. And we get all the grace and the mercy we need. But then he now tells us here that by faith, we come into a confident access. That we don't come in, as he says boldly, we're not wimping in. I'm such a sinner. I'm so sorry to bother you. Can I just one more time ask you to forgive me? I, I, I won't do it again. This will be the last time in my entire life I ever need forgiveness. Just this one time. We're not begging. We're coming boldly. But now he says it's more than boldness. Here in Ephesians, he says there's just, just confident access. My kids lived a life with confident access. Opening our bedroom door, pouncing in. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Hey, I need the car keys right now. It's an emergency. You're, you're 17 years old. You have no emergencies. <laughs> or I'm there in the office and I'm counseling somebody and all of a sudden this three-year-old comes in and jumps on my lap and starts pull opening the desk and you got any candy here and running around. And they, they weren't in any way <laughs> bashful about entering in, right? That confident access we're to have. It says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, we're not ashamed to be of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. But then he says this in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to what? Faith. Important passage here. For the just shall live by faith. We need to have faith. And that faith should cause us to be bold. That faith should cause us to have a confident access. We are his precious children. We are his sheep. We are his bride. We are his friend. What's David say in Psalm 23? Lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. You're the shepherd. I'm just a dumb sheep. I want to get to the path of righteousness, but I need my shepherd. And if I'm not in the field where I'm supposed to be, it's your fault, not mine. That's what David says. A bold and confident access. Oh, that we would learn these passages like Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation coming from Christ. Romans 8.31-35. If God's for us, who can be against us? If God didn't spare his only begotten son, why would he stop now? If he was going to stop, he would have stopped way before giving his son to die on the cross. But since he already gave everything, why would he stop giving us anything short? If he gave his son to be delivered us up for us all, how shall we not with him freely give us all things? Do you, do you hear what that is? That's confident access. If God is justifies. Who condemns? It doesn't matter what demons or man or your own conscience says. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, the list can go on. In Romans 8, 37 and 39, we are more than conquerors. I don't know how you're more than a conqueror. If you, if you know how that works, let me know. But he's saying it's far more than being a conqueror through him who loved us. 
See, that's the thing about kids. They know the parents love them. No matter how bad they are, how weak they are, how struggling they go, neither death nor life, angels, principalities, or powers, there it is, things present or things to come, height nor depth, I've been a lot in the depth, I haven't been in the height too much, but I, I, I can witness that down in the depth, God still loves me, and in any other created thing, shall be, not be able to separate us from the love of God, which we have received through his Son, our Savior, who died on the cross for us, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, what? Grace abounds much more. Not more. I've heard people say that. Oh yeah, grace abounds more. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says it abounds much more. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, what happens? He remains faithful. Notice it didn't say if we're weak in faith or if we're lacking faith or if we have a little faith, it, it takes it all the way to the extreme, doesn't it? If it says you're faithless, like the prodigal son who just packed up and left and went away, God can't deny himself. He's your father and he loves you and he's waiting for your return. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything. Stop worrying let the peace of God that passes all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Where does it come from? Through your prayer life. Praying, diligently praying, having a heart of faith that gives thanksgiving. Just keep crying out to God. Pray without ceasing. And then we come to the end here, verse 13 this morning. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart at my tribulation. It's part of the package. Back in Acts chapter 9, when God said, I'm going to send you to Jews and Gentiles and kings and those in authority, I'm also going to make you an example, Paul, of how much somebody will suffer for preaching my name. And he says, don't be bummed out about it because it's actually our glory isn't that exactly what it says in Romans 8, 16, and 17? That God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God and children, we're heirs of Christ. Christ gives us his inheritance and shares it with us. And then he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we'll also be glorified together. Interesting, at the very beginning of the ministry with the apostles, the, they were beaten for preaching Christ and said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Of course, they went out and preached everywhere. But it says what dumbfounded them when they left, they were sore, they were bruised, they were beaten, they were bloody. And they had this overwhelming joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name's sake. Paul later in Acts 14 goes back to the churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And he encourages the church. And they're strengthened. What's Paul's message to them? We must, through many more tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You haven't started suffering yet, guys. And what happened to the church? Oh, no, okay, I'll quit being a Christian then. I don't want to suffer anymore. No, they were just, hey, well, that, that takes away the confusion. Because I thought following Christ, I wouldn't have these kind of difficulties. And Paul's like, no, no, it's, 
is going to continue right up until you die or the Lord raptures us. So what did we come to the conclusion on here this morning? Number one, let's fulfill our ministries. God's given us grace. Let's walk in it. Let's receive it. Let's go in power. Do our little piece of the puzzle. Number two, it's through the church. Don't minimize the church. God's manifold, many-faceted wisdom is going to be made known through the church. Let's walk by faith, fully believe we are in Christ. We're his child, we're his sheep, we're his bride, we're his best friend. In the world, we will have tribulation, but really, be of good cheer. Don't just think about it, do it. Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer. It's our glory. There's gonna be a special crown in heaven there's going to be a special reward for those who suffer for his name's sake. Something that we really know little about in our country. We, we have really been in the bubble, haven't we? <laughs> Does anybody think the bubble's popped? I think so. Buckle up. It, it's okay. Even though it may look like defeat on earth, God's still on his throne. And prayer changes things. Amen? Thank you for your word today, Lord, and just speak it deep into our hearts into our souls. Lord, we are just amazed at the revelation you give us through this book of Ephesians. From the very first time we got in it in chapter one, it has changed our lives. And we know there's so much more you're gonna speak to us through this amazing book. But Lord, we know that if we're hearers only and not doers of the word, we're of the most deceived kind of people on this earth. That you this morning through the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God has increased all our faith. So let us now from faith to faith go out in boldness in the world and boldness towards you and being lights and salts and fulfilling our ministry speaking. And when we speak, it's as if we're the oracles of God because your grace is with us in power to do our work of the ministry. We know we're shining as a light. People are sort of wondering why we're shining. Lord, let us tell them why we're shining. People can sense that we're salty. They're, they're, they're tasting a flavor they don't typically taste. Lord, let us tell them why they're tasting salt in their mouth. It's you in us, our hope of glory. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in a mighty, in a mighty, in a greater way. In Jesus' name.